Hey everyone, John Clare here, and welcome to episode two of the EvoFi podcast, a finance podcast for humans. Today we tackle the topic of taxes. I dare you to say that three times fast. The topic of taxes, specifically as it relates to the new tax bill that was signed into law uh, for 2018. We've got our friend and CPA, Todd Parker, with us to talk to us about this new tax bill and some basic things that all of us taxpayers should know about it uh, and some tips overall that I think can help everybody. Todd has been a practicing CPA for the last 30 years. He holds a master's in taxation and has worked in the tax departments of the largest CPA firms in the world. Uh, the group is also uh, rounded out today by Dave O'Brien, CFP, my business partner, as well as Lisa Spenick, operations guru at Evolution Advisors. Uh, a few notes before we get started. Uh, just as a reminder, uh, we hope that you'll be able to join us on May 10th at Blue Bee Cider for our cybersecurity uh, prevention and protection event, uh, where we'll be featuring Dan Skiles and Randy Franklin, two experts in their field. Uh, incidentally, Dan will be joining us for a podcast prior to the event, so look for that to be posted on iTunes uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, also, as you may remember from the last podcast, uh, we are required to uh, read a disclaimer before uh, before the podcast, and so I'd like to just read that real quick. I noticed there's another uh, podcast out there where, where they actually sing the disclaimer, and, and there's no chance that that's going to happen here. So before we get started, it's important to note that this podcast is 100% free of any tax, legal, or investment advice. Our goal here is education and fun. If you need advice in any of those areas tailored to your specific circumstances, feel free to give us a call or talk to your advisor, and we'll see how we can help. With that said, here's the EvoFi team with Todd Parker, CPA. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody. We've got all four of us here today. I've got Lisa Spinnick, Todd Parker, CPA, and Dave O'Brien, CFP. Good afternoon, everybody. Hello. Good afternoon. Hello. I feel like I should come up with some acronyms. This is a tough putt for a Friday, isn't it? But, I mean, talking about taxes on a Friday, I'm psyched. What's wrong with that? That's right. It's better than talking about taxes on a Sunday at about 10 p.m. Hey, there's never a bad day to talk about taxes. That's awesome. Well, so before we dive into kind of the tax discussion, um, I want to check in with everybody here, see what's going on in their line of work, what's going on in the world. Lisa, I know you've got some. Big thing. Yeah. Big stuff going on in the world. Yeah. Yep. Amazon's raising their prime rate. 20 bucks. Started out at 79. Now it's 119. That's a, that's a big jump. That's that better than jump. the Fed raising their prime rate, but just, just talking. Nice tie-in. That's yeah, good. Yeah, and that's some... Financial planner geek stock, yeah. So you had, Todd, you had Prime back in the 80s, right, when it was $79? No, that was about three years ago. Oh, wow. They started at 79 By the end of the year, it was 99 which was still not bad, but a big jump, 119 That's, you know, what, 20%, 21%? But now you get to have things delivered by a drone, so that's got to be worth an extra 20 bucks. Just for the entertainment value itself. Not to me, itself. absolutely. But yeah. well, it's a great example of inflation. I saw where they'll even put something in your car trunk for you. Yeah. So you don't have to suffer the 
whatever of having to carry yeah. it if, out. If you have car. a Volvo, they will come out and they will put it in the back of your car, which I guess means that the Volvo dealer can unlock your car remotely, which is actually the more exciting headline, right? It's like nobody has to worry about locking their keys in their car. You don't. You can really do that remotely. We did it this weekend. Really? Yeah. Who we did it? Fun entertainment. With your... My daughter locked her key in her car. And, you know, it's got one of those remote keys. So we took our phone and... Oh, okay. The, That's the probably how the Amazon folks do it. She put her phone, phone by the car door and it unlocked the door. It, it actually worked. Well, we could do a whole podcast episode on... Okay the um, exponential technology revolution that's allowing us to do things like, you know, hack somebody's car or house. But I think we'll save that for another episode. And we'll get back to the really exciting stuff that everybody wants to hear about, which is strategies under the new tax law for 2018. Actually, I do have one other thing I'd like to share. This just came out on social media, hot off the press, that ABBA is reuniting. They have two new songs wow. coming out, and they're doing an Avatar tour. So it's not even the real people, they're avatars. I don't know if we should count ourselves lucky there. But. And finally, I just figured this out. You probably already knew this. Todd, you especially. Did you know that ABBA are the initials of their first names? Yes, of course. Annetta, Benny, Bjorn, and Anna Fried. I'm happy to say I've never heard that before. Wow. Really, either. really Fantastic. never heard it before. It's a really fun yeah. anyway. But thanks now, everybody listening has like ABBA going through their head. Now and I feel like a rock and roll out. geek. I did know that. Maybe we can get uh, them to add an ABBA tune at the end of the podcast in post-production. Do a little, do a little music for this podcast. We'll talk, to, we'll talk to the producer about that. Anyhow, okay, now that I got everybody buttered up and everybody's smiling, let's talk about taxes. The goal today, I thought we'd use to, Todd here to talk about some overall questions that most people have of tax professionals, some general rules of thumb and general things to stay away from. But then also, as most people know by now, there's this new thing called the 2018 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that we can talk about um, some of the major uh, levers in that plan and things that people should be aware of. I will say that Todd is fresh off of uh, 2017 tax prep. And after being out in Hollywood for a week or two, he is ready to talk about 2018. So we may, we may stump him on a few, and I'll give him a pass. Um, but if we can start some discussion today, that would be great. Now, I hear uh, Mr. O'Brien here has uh, something he'd like to add before we get started. Well, this is just a fun fact, because we all heard about how the new tax bill was all supposed to make taxes a lot easier and simpler for everybody. This simple tax bill was 503 pages, accompanied by a 560-page joint explanatory statement, and was voted in just two hours from the time it was released. That's efficiency. That's the, the, that's 503 pages for you. Mm. plus 560 more as an explanatory statement. That's a simple tax bill. And, and in a nutshell, the best I could tell, I got a bunch of printouts here, and it seems like there's not even consensus yet until the practitioners get in there and start really testing it out. But, you know, it seems like you know, typical deductions may be going down, uh, which drives taxable income up, but the rates may come down a little bit to offset. And, and if anyone's interested, you can go to taxfoundation.org. That's one of the sites that I use, and they have some samples of uh, different scenarios where people had in 2017 versus 2018. And, uh, in fact, some of their numbers aren't even right, which I guess tells you how certain some of these things are for now. So, But anyhow, uh, taxfoundation.org, if you want to check it out, you can put in your own stuff as well and see what that does to you. All right, so without further ado, I'm going to lay one out there for Todd and get his uh, get his thoughts on. So tell us about some of the 
the biggest tax blunders that people can make or things you've seen in your long career? Uh, let's see. Um, one thing that was, was rather funny to me, I was working on a client several years ago, a client that had been very profitable year after year after year. One year, he gave me his financial statements. He had about a $450,000, $500,000 loss. How could that be? So looking further, you know, people have bookkeepers that do all their transactions. Now, bookkeepers just put in transactions, move on. They never look at really what they're doing. So I noticed he'd purchased a building for his, I believe it was a professional dental practice or a medical practice. He had purchased a building, let's say $500,000, and his bookkeeper just expensed it as building expense. Now, commercial building has a 39-year life. In other words, according to the IRS, you have to write it off over a full 39 years. That's what we call depreciation. She took it all in one year, hence the big loss. So that was a big no-no, and that was, that was rather funny. That was a mistake, and we, we fixed that up. So is that, is that actually wrong, or is that just stupid? Well, it's a it's, fine line. It's definitely wrong. Okay. I'm thinking it was just an honest mistake, but it was rather, <laughs> it was rather so funny. So it would be both. Okay, just yeah. checking, like, you know. Yeah. Little little tax humor there. Got it. Got it. What else? What are some other things that you see maybe for the common man who doesn't I, own a building or common woman, I should say? Some of the things I've seen, and this is this happens too much. You know about charitable deductions. You could write a check to a charity and you get a, a deduction for what you write. You write a hundred dollar check, you get a hundred dollar deduction. You write a thousand dollar check, you get a thousand dollar deduction. But what you could also do is gift stock to a charity. You have 100 shares of General Motors, 1,000 shares of GE. You could give it to the charity, they'll sell it, and you'll get the deduction for the fair market value, just, just like cash. What I've seen some people do, and unfortunately they've been advised by CPAs to do this, and I can't fathom at all, they take the stock. This is, well, let me, this is a great strategy if you've bought stock a long time ago and have very low cost. For example, you bought it for 100 now it's worth 1000 you get the $1,000 deduction. That's fantastic. Or better yet, if you inherited it, it cost you zero, you get the $1,000 deduction in this example. But what some people do, well, what's a charity going to want to do with stocks? So they'll, they'll go ahead and sell it and give the charity the cash. Okay, so forgetting about transactional costs. So they'll sell it, bought it for 100 sell it for $1,000, they'll give the charity the $1,000. Well, that's all well and good, but now they have a $900 capital gain that's going to offset some of the $1,000 that they give. And, I mean, they don't, clients don't know about that. So, and, you know, that, that's interesting you bring up because we see that a lot with our clients where in the past, you know, they had always followed a strategy like that. And we share, you know, hey, we can just gift some of that stock. It helps your cash flow because you're not writing a check. You don't have to sell anything, so you're not going to pay tax, and we can gift it directly to the charity. And it's like we've just told them something that's totally new. I think that for folks who you know are doing it themselves, they need to know, just ask your charity, what's your brokerage information? And then give that over to your, you know, wherever you have your investment assets. It has to be a taxable account. I think we often forget, because we do this all the time, all the time, so the things that we think are so obvious and we don't even have to think about, they just don't know, and they're relying on us. And to us, it seems so simple, it's hardly worth bringing up because it's obvious to us and not obvious to them. They're great at what they do, but not so good at what we do. 
And that's so, something we always have to keep in mind. So that's a good segue into the, uh, the question we get all the time. Uh, it's kind of like the, should I have an attorney do my will or should I use an online forms company? I won't name any. It's similar on the CPA side. Do I need a CPA or should I use the unnamed software package? What kind of guidance can you give folks on you know, one versus the other? If somebody has a relatively simple tax return, and especially if they don't need any planning, they have a job, their wife has a job, they have a W-2, they have some interest income, you know, they have mortgage interest, real estate taxes. I mean, that's fine, but as you start doing more things, you own more things, you're gifting more things, you have to decide, do I go in direction A or direction B? It's always better to have outside advice than not. A lot of this stuff could be redone. You could go back and amend the tax return, but oftentimes it's worth paying a CPA or an attorney, just like you said about a will. Yes, you could go online, write your own will, and as long as there are no nuances, as long as everything is straight and cut and dry, that's fine. But as soon as there's a little glitch in it, you realize, well, I should have had an attorney write the will because here's a contingency I never heard of. That's really the same thing with the tax law and tax code and CAN software and CPAs. And I can't tell you how many times we've actually found issues, obviously not being attorneys or CPAs, on the will or on a tax return. And then it's just, a, is it the convenience of getting it done or refiling? And sometimes they're significant. I mean, if somebody, I tell clients, I mean, just go do it on, you know, the canned software. You don't need me for this. But oftentimes they do. Yeah. So what are some, I, I want to dive into the 2018 tax, uh, tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And by the way, the Jobs Act part, I haven't figured out where the JOBS Act part of the bill is, other than potentially with the lower corporate tax rates, the idea is to create jobs. That must be in the other 510 Maybe. explanatory pages. Maybe Dave's found it. I know he's got a page. No, I notes. think it just sounds good. Okay, yeah. which, which is fair. I think the, the, the intent behind it is to obviously create jobs. Because they didn't want to say it's a uh, $1.5 trillion deficit act, so jobs sounds better. Well, that's a minor detail, yeah. right? Nobody seems to like that part of the bill, but and I think we can be unanimous on that. Uh, I was going to say anonymous, but... <laughs> unanimous. Anyway, so some general direction, though, before we dive into the 2018 bill, is there uh, general guidance on folks, kind of tax prep for going into 2018, things you've heard, just kind of at a high level? I would have to start talking about a little bit of specifics, how to plan for 2018. All of a sudden, one of the big hot items is state and local tax deductions all of a sudden anything over $10,000 we don't get anymore. Mm -hmm. So for instance, if you're, in a, if you're in a large city, let's take New York City for example, you work in the city, so you're paying New York State tax, you're paying New York City tax, and if you live there and own a condo, you're paying real estate taxes too. And if you have a sizable W-2, add those all together, the amount of taxes you're paying to New York State are an awful lot higher than $10,000. So now all of a sudden you don't get that deduction. I've seen people, you know, $24,000 in real estate taxes alone. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden that's lopped right off the, the top. So in other words, that's, a, that's a, a raise in the tax rate right there if you want to take a look at it. Okay. So there are a couple of things that I want to make sure we hit on. I know, Dave, you've got a few as well. Um, I thought it might be helpful to talk about there are three areas that I want to make sure we cover. One is kind of the tax bracket situation. So we know there's a still seven uh, – uh, brackets and uh, the, uh, as there were before, but the rates have changed on all the brackets slightly. I also want to talk about the 
standard deduction, this whole, we've heard it doubling, uh, when in effect, it's not really doubling because the exemptions are going away, the personal exemptions. So I want to just tell people what that means. And then the final one that I want to make sure we cover is around just deduction changes overall. You mentioned the SALT or the state and local tax uh, mm -hmm. being capped, but there's a lot of other stuff going on on that Schedule A that's changing. And I think it might be helpful to review those. And so let me just kind of ask the question that somebody listening might ask. It's like, all right, so I've heard about there's this new tax law, but like basically what is it, right? Like basically what changed? And John, you just said it, it went from seven tax brackets to seven tax brackets. They just changed how much money you can make until you fall into the next higher marginal income tax bracket. Um, so you might be paying less in taxes, but then you don't get to deduct as much. What other major things do people need to think about when they just think about what's this new tax law? So tax rates changed for some people, but they don't get to deduct as much. Are those the headlines, or are there other things that people need to think about? It's really a moving target. Yeah, the tax brackets have gone down. So the, if you do the math, whatever your taxable income is, that's going to be down. But in a lot of cases, and I have a couple of real small examples, your deductions are less, so the amount of income you're being taxed is higher. So you do the, you do the math there. Am I paying more tax or am I paying less tax? I mean, just in general, I think the lower your income is to start with, the more tax you're going to pay under this act. I mean, that's a super general thing to say, but... That's why don't we go through some, if you've got some examples, why don't we start there? That might be a yeah, good an way example kind of helps because yeah. you can't see all of the charts that we're holding up to the speaker or to the uh, to the speaker of the okay, people. I have, I have three very brief, very general examples. Let's suppose you're single, you have no children. The standard deduction increases from sixty-three fifty to twelve thousand, which is good, but your personal exemptions go from four thousand and fifty to zero, which is bad. So the old tax break would be $10,400. The new tax break would be 12000 because of the, rate, the higher standard yeah, And what do you mean by the break? Well, you get to... The deduction. You get, more, you get $1,600 more deductions under this, this new tax law. So you far, so good. You lose in exemptions, but it's being made up and then some by the standard deduction. So you're $1,600 to the good here. Okay, very simple. Now let's look at... Married, married couple, let's start first with no children. Standard deduction is going from 12,700. It's almost doubling up to 24,000, which is good. Two personal exemptions, you're losing $8,100 in deductions right there. So again, this is still good. Your old, old tax break was $20,800. Now you're getting a tax break of 24,000. So now that's good, $3,200. It starts falling apart when you start having, you know, you factor children into the mix because you're losing personal exemptions. So married with no children, $3,200 to the good, let's say. Now married couple filing with two children. Again, your standard deduction goes from 12700 under the old tax law to 24000 this year, which is very good. But your personal exemptions, which you got four last time, of 16200 are going down to zero. You get no benefit for children. So it seems like, if I may, a couple of things I've heard, because in a lot of the research that I've looked at, it's you know, there's a 2 or 3%, maybe a 1% increase in take-home pay. There was all these scenarios that I ran. But if you're, in a, if you're in a state that has high property taxes, 
um, if you have a lot of kids or personal exemptions, mm-hmm. um, if you have expensive CPAs or pay a lot of investment fees, a lot of these deductions this, are going this away. This is going to kill you. Yeah. This well, is, that's, a, that's a harsh way to say it. It's but, a harsh way to say yeah. So basically, under the old tax law, you were getting deductions of 30900 Here, it drops down to 28000 so it's a loss of $2,900 worth of deductions. And we're not even talking about change in tax bracket, which might ameliorate that by a few hundred dollars. And then if you had three kids or four kids, it's so much worse right there. Okay, so not, not a lot. Again, with, with some exceptions, on the surface, it sounds like there is a – Real tangible benefit for a lot of folks. Uh, maybe not a huge benefit, but there's something in terms of what they're going to see in their wallet on a recurring basis. Uh, if you're single, right? Again, if you're if you're if you have fewer exemptions and right, if, if you didn't own a house and you weren't you weren't itemizing to begin with, then yes, this will help you. And in some cases, you know, we we work with some clients here who have. Who, who are, you know, kind of into the quote-unquote retirement phase, and they've paid off their house and or they've moved into a house and paid cash, and they were concerned that, oh, God, I don't have a mortgage deduction anymore. Well, guess what? Now they're basically getting the benefit of a mortgage deduction without having to itemize. That's right. Right? So there's some, some real benefits depending on, uh, depending on the factors. But as your income goes higher and higher, even if you were retired, you might have a lot of retirement income. You may have had to make... Um, state estimated tax payments which now are not deductible so depending on the size of your of your tax of your gross income your taxable income that's going to change a lot it's it's really hard on a general basis to say a b or c everything Mm -hmm. there are so many forces in play here you'd have to take a look at i mean that's where a can software may or may not be able to help you out that's where you probably want to look at some professional guidance Okay. So then let's kind of dig into this. Um, essentially, so if you're single, you go from twenty point eight to $24,000, and that's a $3,200 benefit to you. That's, but if you're married with a couple kids, it, it goes down from 30900 to $28,000. So that's, that's all because you can't deduct as much as you used to. That's correct. And so if we kind of look at some of those things that are changes in what maybe people remember they were able to deduct last year and they can't deduct this year. But we've got like mortgage interest. You can deduct your mortgage interest, but you can't deduct your home equity line of credit. Actually, that's some, right? There's a stipulation, right? Well, there's a stipulation in that if you use your equity line to acquire property, then it's the same rules as Which, a mortgage. Of course, everybody's always okay. done, yes. right? No one ever bought a car, sent their kids to college on a HELOC. That's right. So if you're using your credit line for what most people use it for, no, it's not deductible. And also, under the old tax law, you got to deduct mortgage interest up to a million dollars of indebtedness. In other words, you took out a million dollar loan to buy a house, it would all be deductible. Now, if you acquired a mortgage after December 15th, that cap drops down to 750000 so you, you bought the So it's still capturing most people's mortgages. Yeah, but I mean you bought the same except if you live in LA maybe, but if you bought the same house, now there's two hundred and fifty interest on two hundred and fifty thousand dollars that is not deductible to you. So something that I think some of the folks listening might have heard about is um, medical expenses because the Affordable Care Act increased how much um, you know you, you could deduct for, for some medical expenses, this kind of rolled it back to 7.5% of your gross income. From 10% of your gross income. Right, right. 
but, but by and large, um, unless you have horrific medical bills with no insurance coverage, I see very few people able to take advantage of that. For the unfortunate few who do, I have read that this current law only extends that through the end of this calendar year. So if somebody is facing some pretty heavy medical expenses compared to their gross income. That's where the tax planning comes in. They'd want to bunch it into this year. And then what are they going to do in 2019? We don't know yet. When will they find out? We don't know. I mean, we're still looking for guidance on this thing. Well, this whole thing sunsets in 2025, too, right? So nothing's ever forever. But back to the medical expense uh, deduction. So long-term care premiums, a lot of the folks that we work with actually have long-term care insurance policies. That and so falls, those That falls under that those category are, those as well. Those are categorized as... In Part B and Part D, Medicare, too, falls okay. into that category as well. Uh, so I think there's a lot of discussion. If you think about the Form 1040 on the back side, on the deduction side, I'd like to, if it's okay, pull it back to the front side of the 1040 just talk about income real quick um because there's a couple of things that i wanted to, to highlight so if you think about the the income section of the 1040 todd we've talked about the the tax brackets on ordinary income changing you know they may go down by two three percent are there other things that impact income that are changing for example i know that we've talked about pass-through income and there's some nuances there i even saw something about a uh a 20 percent deduction and pass-through income for certain people. So I'm not sure how much you know about this yet, but there are people who have real estate investments and uh, who are business owners who have what we call K-1 kind of pass-through income. What's, what's your understanding of how that's going to be affected? Well, right now they talk about 20% of qualified income, and that's kind of a nebulous word, and that goes into various brackets as well. If you're single and your income from pass-through is 157000 or less, then right off the bat, you get the 20%. I be, believe married at somewhere around three, if filing jointly at somewhere around $335,000. So then we don't have to talk about all the nuances. If it's over that, then you have to start looking at the salaries that the pass-through paid, and you get the higher of 50% of the salaries paid or 50% of the pass-through income. It's very nebulous. We don't have a lot of guidance on that. And so you get a number, 20% of whatever that number. Now, where does that number go on the tax return, or what does it do? I don't know. I ha haven't heard anybody say anything about where it goes. That's one of the things we're waiting for the for IRS guidance on. And, and also with the, the way the business income is taxed. So let's say that somebody out there you know, owns a plumbing company or a lemonade stand. They're treated one way under this tax law. And then somebody else who's, say, uh, a physician or a, a professional athlete or a CPA or financial planner, they're treated a different way, right? Because the, the, the tax law talks about are you in a service business versus not a service business. That's right. That's where the 50% salaries come in. If you have a lemonade stand, you don't need to worry about that. If you're a doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, then that's, yes, it does kick in. So this does definitely gets into some more advanced planning. Absolutely. What other on the income side? Uh, capital gains is is still the old um, old tax brackets. Uh, dividends are the same. Anything else on the income side that you know has changed? I can't think of income. Some adjustments to income. Four hundred one k benefit is going up five hundred dollars. It's I mean, a benefit's a benefit, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's a major, major planning tool. 
Although, John, since you mentioned um, capital gains, uh, Todd, something that I find a lot of folks don't quite think about is um, capital gains is either going to be taxed at 15% or 20%. But it's really not 20% because most of those people paying a 20% capital gains rate are also being hit by this thing called the net investment income surcharge. Could, could you explain that and so that people kind of understand what that is and how it gets in there for their tax bill? It's above and beyond everything else. If you have net investment income over $225,000, it's a formula that against the capital gains, and you could, it could add another 3.8%. So the 20% capital gain could, in essence, become 238 I think uh, it does sneak in. up on a lot of people. It seems like they didn't expect it. And, and with that kind of income, it's really a big tax bill that they're looking at that they didn't expect. Pretty much the higher your income... You're subject to that. You're subject to a Medicare surcharge. You might be subject to AMT. So all these brackets are kind of meaningless in and of themselves. You'd have to look at the whole entire picture. I mean, you might be up over 40% and thinking you're in the 33% tax bracket. Great point. So I'm that's, walking. That's what that, I mean. That's where planning comes in. That's Absolutely. to decide. Well, do I do this in December, or do I push it off till the next January, or do I take what I was going to do in January and bring it back into December? So it sounds like you don't want to wait this year to see your accountant. No. And if it, you don't have an accountant, you might want to might think want about to get getting an early, not waiting till well, December. Well, what I like to do, I like to get people in towards the end of the third quarter. September, let's say, so you have a pretty good idea of where you're going during the year. Because on, you know, after December 24th, let's say, it's awful hard to, to bring things to bear and make the changes you want. I mean, I would do it early. Even if you have to go see your CPA and he's going to charge you for two visits, it might well be worth what he's going to save you going forward. So should folks expect, you know, a lot of people we work with, I shouldn't say a lot, Many people that we work with, we, we ask, do you have a tax advisor? And they say, no, no, I have someone who does my taxes, but I don't ever talk to them. So are those people going to have to change the way they do things to provide some of this more proactive advice? Or is this a good time for folks to, to seek out actual an advisor of some sort as opposed to a preparer? I think the more someone has going on, the more sources of income, the higher level of assets, I think it's time they started getting professional advice. So it's kind of like that old joke about CPAs. I mean, there's CPAs who stare at their own shoes when they're talking to you, and then the, the, the ones who stare at your shoes when they're talking to you. Those are the extroverts. You're looking at the extroverts there. <laughs> you, so you want a CPA who's going to be staring at your shoes when you're having the conversation. Something like that. Yeah, do a little planning there. I would have maybe put it better, but yes. So I know we're going to flip over on the 1040, but there's one other item that came up yesterday with a client. Um, in terms of 529 plan contributions, um, there was a change this year. I'm not sure if it's related to the 2018 tax bill, but they can be used for secondary education, not just That's uh, right. Up college until, up education. Up until this point, it was college. I believe the number is $10,000 now that you could use it for private high school, middle school. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's a great benefit. If you, were, if you had enough foresight to start it when your son or daughter was born, then you've had, you know, 15, 13, 14, 15 years of it to grow. If you're going to start the day they go to middle school, there's really not that much of a benefit to it. But, yeah, that's, that's very important. I, I don't know who saw that, that benefit coming, but it's great. All right, so now if I flip over the 1040, it's a virtual 1040 because I don't have it in front of me. So we talked about uh, personal exemptions going away. 
then you get to the, the, the I, it's hard to say, deduction. It must be my stutter. So we get to the deduction piece, and then it's itemized or standard deduction. So we've kind of alluded to some of the itemized deductions that are changing, like the medical deduction going to 7.5% of gross income. Uh, and then we've hinted at some that are going away. So, and I know Dave got some, ha- has got some here too as well, but a couple I'm going to rattle off real quick. Um, uh, we talked about tax preparation fees, um, investment advisory fees, unreimbursed business expenses. Can, can you talk about that a little yes, bit? Yes, that's a, that's a very big thing. I've seen that with some of my clients. People that are in sales, let's say, they entertain their clients and not a lot. They get paid on a large W-2. They're, I mean, they're an employee of a corporation. I just, I dealt with somebody yesterday, in fact, he's a mortgage broker, and he had roughly $22,000, $23,000 in unreimbursed business expenses. Some of it was mileage, because he travels all over the place visiting clients. Other was gifts to clients, then just personal office expenses. And that is that's completely going away. 100%. So the home office deduction, the home not off- the home office okay. deduction, but he, you know, his telephone. He had an extra, a separate telephone that he used for business, and that's going away. Meals, f- taking out clients and sort of wooing them over to his side, that's gone. Mileage deduction gone for an for an employee business expense. In other words, you can't write this off against your W two income anymore. Okay, it's gone completely, hundred percent. So this meals and. Entertainment expense. This is, this is a big deal. I mean, not necessarily our line of work. Maybe 20 years ago when people played a lot of golf. But, um, you know, the whole industries are going to be affected if, if these uh, types of expenses are not a business expense anymore. That's absolutely right. Meals are still deductible to the tune of 50%. That hasn't changed. The only thing that's changed, what they call entertainment and they need to do some refining on that. In other words, you take somebody to a baseball game, you take someone to a show, to the opera, let's say, that's entertainment. That's not deductible. Now, the question is, you take them to a baseball game, it's entertainment. You buy them a hot dog. Now, is it a meal? I don't know the answer to that question. So that kind of um, ties to something that a few folks have asked me about. When you get, And we'll talk about charitable deductions because I think that's something that's obviously an important planning aspect, but there is an entertainment component of some collegiate charitable contributions, right? So at these larger universities where if you make a certain donation, that's necessary so that you can get in, in the queue to get the good parking space and get the seats at the football game. A part of that's no longer deductible. Am I right? That's been in the law for a couple of years, and when you get the the confirmation from the charity, they tell you what part of that is not deductible. So there's a portion that you receive value in return, right? Is that what you're talking about? You give the college that you went to $1,000 in return for football tickets and in in return for the right to buy football tickets in return to have your own parking spot during football games. Well, there's a value to that. That part is not deductible. Though there's a certain quid pro quo approach that a lot of universities take, which is if you're in the you know, university circle donors club, then you get to be able to buy the tickets. And now a portion of that's not deductible under this new that, tax law, that's, correct? That's correct. Right. So Is the same true if you take people to those big golf tournaments or big sporting events? That's entertainment. 
whether you have fun or not. That's so all those boxes at the big stadiums, those are, you know, that, that the businesses have? is that Sky boxes haven't been deductible for 15 or 20 years. Well, but we've been deducting our sky box, right? Oh, don't tell. <laughs> don't tell anybody. <laughs> Inside joke. How come I haven't heard of the sky box? Okay, l- let's talk a little bit about um, deductions and, and charitable deductions. So... One thing that I, you, you and I have talked about a little bit is strategies of, you know, can I itemize this year or can I not and just take that standard deduction? Because there will be some years where taking the standard deduction is about as good as you're going to get it. You know, you're married filing jointly. You've got that $24,000 deduction. But then there are some years where some good planning might actually be able to get you a lower tax bill, right? where you're kind of looking at what are the major tools there? You've got your state and local taxes, you have your property tax, you have your mortgage interest, and you've got charity. So I'm thinking if we could talk a bit about the charitable deductions. Um, if, if you gift a bit more in a year, now you trigger the ability to, to deduct. Or if you know, so you're how, gonna, you know you're gonna gift A this year and B next year, you know, if you're going to gift it in December, in January, let's say, bunch it all into December. So that bunching approach... Um, might put you over the top. And, and essentially what you're saying there is you're saying, hey, Charity, I'm going to give you a lot of money this year, but I can't give you anything next year. In the cosmic scheme of things, it would all work out. Theoretically, It might yeah. save you a few dollars this year. And I guess a couple other approaches that people might want to take if that is not something that they want to do for the charity... You know, is to say basically you're getting it all this year and next year nothing would be either to use a donor advised fund or to gift to a community foundation, gift a larger amount in one year and they can spread it out over a couple the years, but they get the charitable deduction cor- this year. Correct. Right. Okay. So what other bunching strategies are useful when you're trying to get the maximum deduction in this year? Would you be able to bring in like all of next year's mortgage payments, or could I prepay next year's taxes in this year? What's the limit? What's getting a little um, too out well, in front of your Well, prepaid taxes or prepaid real estate taxes, you can't do that. It's In the year, it's assessed. Now, this year, uh, Mario Cuomo, the governor of New York, passed a, a, a quick last-minute bill saying, we're going to assess the 2018 real estate taxes at the end of December, which allowed certain of our clients to actually pay it in December. But normally, it's deductible in the year it's assessed. So you can't, you can't prepay 2019 tax, real estate taxes in 2018. Cash would go out the door, but you would not get a deduction for it. What about prepaying some of your mortgage of 2019? You, so you so how it. much should people think they could pay? Could they pay half a year, or could they only pay the January mortgage? I would say whatever. I have seen no guidance on it. I think whatever they pay would be interest. Okay. And um, we can, again, some of the stuff is gray area that we still needs to be discovered. And we, so we can do some research and, 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 and um, put some notes on our blog if, if we need some clarification. Because nothing on this call constitutes tax, legal, or investment advice. This is for entertainment purposes only, as they say in the disclaimer. Just remind our listeners out there, this so, so, so what else, Dave, on the deduction side? I have a few other kind of things that I want to bring up before we, before we wrap up, but are there other things that you have that you want to make sure we talk so, about? So I was talking with some colleagues last week, and, and uh, one of our colleagues really focuses on women going through divorce. And something that I thought was kind of interesting is the way that alimony payments are treated under Very this good. new tax law versus before. Could you share a bit about that? 
Well, the way it worked before, and we're talking alimony, not separate child support, which was never brought into income and was never deductible. But if you are paying alimony, you get a deduction from gross income to adjusted gross income. And if you were receiving alimony, that was income to you. Now it's all gone. You don't get a deduction for the, the party paying it gets no deduction for it. The party receiving it does not bring it into income. So depending on which side of the ledger you're on, this is either a good good thing or a bad thing. It's kind of interesting that it's the tax deal. law did this because generally the one paying the alimony is the one with more money and would have liked that deduction and now they're not getting it. So and sometimes maybe it's maybe there's some fairness in this law. I didn't see or that not. in any of the primers. That's a good catch, Dave. Well, you know, this is what I read at night, John. This is or sometimes while I'm driving to work. And that's why it's a good match, Dave. It really is. Really so is. exciting stuff. So there's a child tax credit. So one of the things they say is, yeah, your exemptions are going away. But now if you've got a child, there's a tax credit that will and now it's a credit, not a deduction, right? So they say that that thousand dollar tax credit. A dollar dollar reduction of your taxes. Yes, that's going from one thousand to two thousand, which is great, but it's one of those things that are phased out as your income goes higher. So it may or may not benefit you. So how much money do you need to be making generally until that phase is out? I think out? the phase out's like four hundred grand. I was looking at something where it's a really high phase this out. This one it's this one it's high. Um, okay. but the other thing is is that, and maybe this was the same before, but you know, if I have a 23-year-old who's in college, I still have a personal exemption for that person. However, the child tax uh, credit is only for kids up to 17. 17, so that wouldn't... So that wouldn't apply. So I think there's some nuances here. But again, it's it's used as a kind of an offset for this personal exemption going away. But there are some, you know, nuances to that rule, too. So that's why I said at the offset, it's hard to just look at the tax bracket and say, yes, I'm going to save 2% or I'm going to save... 3%, you have to look at the whole picture, how everything comes in and goes out, and you have to look at the bottom line and compare one to the other. And so that's, I mean, if you go see a tax advisor, he could, he could take a look at your 2017 picture and say, well, let's say this was under 2018 tax law, what would the difference be? And that'll give you an idea there. Go ahead, Dave. So as we kind of talk through all this, I think that you know there are, there are a lot of important points here, and a couple that we get get asked somewhat often is, you know, what are some of the other planning opportunities so that I can pay less in tax? And, and as you know, financial planners, one of the things that we like to focus on is making sure that your portfolio doesn't generate more tax than it has to. Essentially, putting all the bond funds over in your four hundred one k and IRA so that you don't get taxed on that. Um, but the thing that people ask about, and I wonder how this new tax law changes, is should I contribute to a Roth IRA or there's a Roth 401k available at my employer? Should I do that? If, if my tax bracket's gone down, does it make sense that I switch from a, a, a deferred contribution into my 401k to an after-tax Roth contribution? And, and how would people evaluate that? I think you would just have to look at where you are. If you take a deduction, what that's going to do for you, and and kind of look at it from there. It's hard to, it's hard to ask answer that generally because there's so many things in play here. So it's another one of those. It depends. It's you really have to start planning it out. Uh, there's just a lot of levers that people I mean, I can pull keep, this I hate year, to keep right? Using that term, yeah. That's, I mean, it does depend, and one size absolutely doesn't fit all. 
and it fits all less now than it ever did in the past. And another strategy that was popular for a few years was converting an IRA into a Roth IRA and paying the taxes now. And again, that's probably not a, right, a quick answer was, that's you know, good for everybody. If your income's going to be over 160000 you can't contribute to you know, a Roth, so do it now, pay the tax, and it'll grow tax-free. And it sounded great, but everything changes between now and then, so it's hard to say if you got the benefit of that or not. So this tax stuff, this, this is kind of difficult and hard. I, I, I thought that this tax bill was going to make it easier for everybody, and it doesn't really sound like at the end of this discussion it really has that much. It, it, it was simplification, by the way. Well, in all fairness, pages. in all fairness, uh, so I want to go around the horn real quick with parting thoughts. Uh, but uh, I did read a note that it said the idea is that 94% of the people who file taxes in 28 should, should be able to use the standard deduction in a simplified, going from like 70% or so. So I think it may just be how you define simplify, right? So that's something I'll, I'll put out there. Um, but yeah, it certainly seems quite complicated and, and very situational. So And it's complicated also because there's a lot of stuff that we j we don't know yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, this thing was basically, you know, basically voted on in the middle of the night and all the... Literally. Literally. And all the analysis that's done on these things ahead of time just wasn't done. And everybody, the government is trying to work through all this now. And as they provide guidance, we'll, you know, put it out there. But there's an awful lot of questions that we as professionals have as well. Okay, so quick parting shot, everybody. 30 seconds each. I'm going to look to Dave first. So I'll give Lisa a little bit of time to think about it. Well, I think, John, to your point that you know they're saying that so many people are going to be able to use the standardized deduction. That's true. They're going to be able to, but is it best for them this year or next year? And I think planning around those margins is the real opportunity where you can save thousands of dollars in taxes just by understanding I can use the standardized deduction, but if we make some adjustments to the way that things are flowing, maybe it's better for me to be able to itemize this year and I can save some real money and follow the tax law. I think I'm going to be a little bit flip here. Everything Dave said is true, but I'm thinking all these things are coming to pass. Don't panic. Don't let it keep you up at night. You know, breathe in, breathe out, and repeat as necessary until your heart rate comes back down to normal and let it, let it flow right now and see a tax advice a third quarter and then you could start working things out. And that's great advice, Todd. And thank you for being here, by the way. My pleasure. Lisa, anything you'd like to add? You know, I think change is never easy. We all know that change is hard and it doesn't mean hard is bad. Um, taxes have never been easy. We've always needed tax advisors and people like Todd to help us figure this stuff out, and I don't think it's any different now. I think we just need to be aware that there are changes and to get to get our tax, to our tax advisors early, like Todd said, at least third quarter. Good. Well, all I'll do is thank everybody for joining. That's going to be my my summary of the, of, of the podcast. Uh, so thank you all very much. Um, just want to remind everybody that our next podcast in a few weeks is on cybersecurity featuring Dan Skiles. Uh, and if you want to leave us a note, uh, send us an email at evofi podcast, E-V-O-F-I podcast at gmail.com or check us out on Twitter or Instagram under evofi podcast as well. And subscribe on iTunes. And if you can subscribe and, and submit a review or rate us, then we can get up higher in the rankings and share the share our advice and, and our fun and overall uh, way of doing things with, with more people. So thanks very much, everybody. Have a good afternoon. 